So today we will jump back into the book of Romans chapter 9. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there, Romans chapter 9. And we have a lot to cover, so we're going to uh, need to jump right on into it here. So Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now I'm just going to briefly pause right here and ask you to notice how the Holy Spirit affects your conscience. That is, uh, Paul says that his conscience here is bearing witness to him in the Holy Spirit. So that's something to think about something to meditate on this week or in your prayer time. How is the Holy Spirit influencing your conscience? You know, uh, when the thoughts come to your head of doing something that, you know, it's outside of your conscience, maybe outside of what is right, does the Holy Spirit influence your conscience during that time? Is it easy for you to lie? Is it easy for you not to care uh, much about what you're getting over on other people or, you know, uh, remember God sees all things, right? And our conscience can bear witness in the Holy Spirit, right? If your conscience doesn't bother you when you know what you're doing is wrong, you are surely not being led or influenced by the Holy Spirit. But it's just one thing that jumped out to me as I read that verse here earlier this week. But let's get back on track here. What is the Apostle Paul talking about now? He goes on in verse 2, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So these people that Paul calls his countrymen, according to the flesh here, are his fellow Jews, whom he calls his brethren. And the problem that Paul was dealing with here in his ministry was that many of the Jews, not all, but many were rejecting who Jesus Christ really was and why he had come. Of course, Jesus faced this rejection himself when he was walking upon the earth. They rejected him straight to his face. But Paul's desire was that his fellow countrymen as a whole, would not reject Jesus. Those that were rejecting him, his desire was that they would not, uh, just, it was, just as it was also Paul's desire that Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people of the world, would receive Jesus as their Lord. And of course, this is why we have these letters recorded in the pages of our Bibles today, so that we too can come to know and to receive Jesus for who he really is. But Paul continues on in verse 4, speaking of his fellow Jews, and says, Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, and of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So again, it's very, very clear here that in these passages of Scripture, Paul is speaking of the Jewish people. 
They have been adopted by God as His own special people. That is, they would be the ones through whom He would bring the Messiah to the earth. The glory of the covenants pertained to them, the law pertained to them, and the promises were given to them. And of course, Jesus Himself was a Jew in the flesh, as it points out there in verse 5. He was the promised and the long-awaited Messiah. And notice that that, that verse 5 also calls Jesus the eternally blessed God. So according to the flesh, He came through the Jewish race of people. But in reality, He was God with us. But again, we see here that the Apostle Paul was so stricken in his heart about the fact that so many of the Jewish people were rejecting who Jesus really was. But this is nothing unusual, right? So many people today still reject who Jesus really is because coming to know Jesus comes with a price. The price is that we must take up the cross and follow after Him. Many people are looking for a Savior that they can mold to be how they want him to be. So that's how they form their religion off of their own ideas. But they really don't want Jesus to be Lord over every aspect of their lives. But the Apostle Paul was called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is simply stating here that his heart was broken over the fact that many of his fellow Jews will not accept Jesus or would not accept Jesus as the eternally blessed God and allow Him to be Lord over their lives. That wasn't the kind of God, that wasn't the kind of Savior that the Jews were looking for. That wasn't the kind of Messiah they wanted Him to be. But as we continue on through chapter 9, let's just keep in mind that the Jewish people are the topic here of what Paul is speaking about. Verse 6 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. So the word of God through the Apostle Paul here wants us to know that just because many of the Jews were rejecting Jesus, this does not mean that the promises of the Word of God had failed. Paul says, wait a minute here. We must keep in mind that just because people were racially Israel, that did not make them the true Israel that God made the promises to. If you'll remember... From when we studied the book of Genesis, we saw how a man named Abraham had a son named Ishmael from a woman named Hagar, right? But the child was not the child that God promised to Abraham, was it? That child was not the promised child. God promised Abraham that he would have the promised child with his wife, Sarah, not some other woman. The child that came through Sarah was named Isaac, who the Apostle Paul mentions here in verse 7. So as Paul speaks here in this portion of the letter about the Jews, 
He is saying here in verses 6 and 7 that not all of Abraham's children, that is ethnic Israel, not all of them were beneficiaries of the promise. The promised child was Isaac. So it would be that the people that would descend from Isaac, they would be the people of the promise. Only the people that would descend from Isaac. The decision that resulted in the birth of Ishmael was a decision of Abraham and Sarah's carnal minds. It was a decision of their flesh. It was not a decision of faith, but rather of foolishness. Abraham, by being with the woman Hagar, was not being obedient at that time to the promise of God. Verse 8 continues on this same topic and says, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, right? So Abraham had other children. He had Ishmael and he had other children, right? They were all children of the flesh. None of them were children of the promise, right? That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise, which is who? Isaac's descendants, okay? So the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So again, when God made this covenant with Abraham, he did not say that Hagar would have a son, did he? No, that wasn't the promise. God's promise of the son through Abraham was through his wife, Sarah. So again, just because many of the Jews, so this is what Paul is saying, just because many of the Jews rejected Jesus, this did not mean that the promises of the word of God had failed. We've got to understand who we're talking about when we talk about the promise, the line, the seed. Who are we really talking about? Not all ethnic Israel, not just a whole nation, not all of them, but a specific line of them. Let's read on. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Okay, so Paul calls. Pause right there. Because Paul is just really making sure to drive home a point here. By adding to the story that when Isaac, the child of promise, grew up and got married, his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant with twins. God had chosen or elected, if you will, that only one of those twin boys would be used by God to carry out the promise that God made to Abraham, of Abraham being the father of many nations, right? So the, the line of the Messiah was to come from Abraham, then go specifically through Isaac, then specifically through Isaac's son, Jacob. So the elect, right? The elect people that we're speaking about in this chapter, the chosen people, would descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what Paul's pointing out here. None of the rest of, the, of Abraham's seed 
that is, none of the rest of Abraham's children, would matter as it pertained to the line of people from which the Messiah would come. Okay? The children of the promise, the elect that Paul is speaking of here, has nothing to do with the topic of salvation in this chapter has nothing to do with how people get saved. That's not even the subject here in this chapter. I bring that up because there is a doctrine of men that teaches that only people have been chosen by God to be saved or are the elect, but that's not what's being spoken of here, right? That doctrine is referred to as Calvinism, which to me, since it is named after a man, That should tell you something right off the bat, that it's a doctrine of men. But again, what is being spoken of here as it pertains to election has nothing to do with how someone gets saved today. That's not the topic here. We are simply seeing in this chapter an explanation from the Apostle Paul as to why so many of the Jews were rejecting Jesus. Right? The word of God hasn't failed. The promises of God hasn't failed. This was not the line, right? So just because they were ethnic Israel did not mean they were of the promised line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So verse 12 continues. It was said to her, now again, who are we speaking of here? Rebecca, Isaac's wife. The twins that she had in her womb, the Lord told her that the older shall serve the younger. Now, I'd like for us to take a moment here and mark this page in your Bible, and we'll go ahead and take a look back at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. This is where we will find the story that is being referenced here in Romans chapter 9. So you're looking for Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, and we'll look down and we'll start reading in verse 21. So Genesis 25, 21. It says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now again, this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to back in Romans chapter 9. Rebecca had twins in her womb after her husband prayed that she would get pregnant. And then verse 22 says, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, I'll pause right here too on our topic for a moment and say this is awesome here what Rachel does. Um, Something just didn't seem right. Not Rachel, sorry, Rebecca. Uh, Something just didn't seem right, you know, in her life. So what was the first thing she thought to do when something just didn't seem right? Well, the first thing she thought to do was go and inquire 
of the Lord. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's something good we can learn from what Rebecca did here. And verse 23 says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay, so what I want you to note here is that when the book of Romans is speaking of these two boys, Jacob and Esau, it is not speaking of the individuals, the men themselves here. The Lord here told Rebekah that the struggle that was going on within her womb was because she had two, what, nations inside of her. That's why, that's what these two boys represented. They represented two nations or two peoples, he said. Two people groups would descend from Jacob and Esau. Those two nations were the Edomites and the Jews. And when it says that the older shall serve the younger, again, it speaks of nations, not individuals. Did we ever see, did we ever read anywhere in the Bible where Esau himself served Jacob? No, we never read that anywhere in the Bible. Esau never, as an individual, served Jacob. Okay? But the people that would descend from Esau, the Edomites, they did serve the Jews. So again, as we flip back now to Romans chapter chapter 9, we must keep this in mind. We're not talking about the salvation of individuals. It's clear, but rather the destiny of two nations. God has a plan for Israel, but that plan didn't pertain to every child that descended from Abraham. It wasn't Ishmael. It wasn't none of the other sons of Abraham. It was Isaac specifically, right? And it wasn't Jacob and Esau. No, it was Jacob only, right? That's, that was the lineage that God was using to bring forth the Messiah. Then in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now again, we know from Genesis that this scripture speaks of what? Individuals? No. Speaking of a nation, nations, right? Not individuals. And this scripture stumbles a lot of people. But let me show you a couple things here, or tell you of a couple things as we, as we look at these words loved and hated here. Do you remember when we studied the story of Jacob and Rachel? Jacob was duped or tricked, if you will, by Rachel's father into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah, right? The scripture says that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. That's what the scripture says. He loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Then the very next verse after that one says that God saw that Jacob hated Leah. So the scripture says that he loved 
Rachel more than he loved Leah. But then it says after that, that Jacob hated Leah. Well, you see, to use the word hate in our English language today, the way we understand it means something very different than what it did in the Hebrew scriptures. In the Hebrew, it simply was an idiom that means that you favor one more over the other. Okay, To love and to hate simply means that you show more favor to one than you do the other. That was the case with Jacob as it pertained to Rachel and Leah. He favored Rachel more than he did Leah. In the Gospel of Luke, even in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, in order to follow him, you must hate your father and your mother and your children, right? But in Matthew chapter 10, representing the same story as in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said that if you love father and mother more than me, wife and children more than me, you're not worthy of me. So again, to love one and hate the other, as the Hebrew idiom went, simply means that you favor one over the other. And Jesus doesn't want us placing anyone or anything in our lives above him, right? And, And our obedience to his word. So again, that scripture stumbles a lot of people, but, but in our topic today, God is simply saying that he favored Jacob more than he did Esau. That's the one that he chose, okay? But again, we're, remember, we're talking about the, the destiny of nations here. A certain portion of the descendants of Abraham were chosen by God simply for his own special purpose, which again was to what? was to bring the Messiah into the world through a certain lineage of the Jews. So as Paul is speaking of the elect here, he is speaking of the seed, or if you will, the specific descendants of Isaac. To put these scriptures in any other context is to take them completely out of context. But people have done this to make it a doctrine regarding salvation when it's plain to see salvation is not even being talked about here, right? I only bring this up because of, again, this doctrine confuses a lot of people and it teaches that only certain people can be saved and everyone else is damned and, and you know, and this portion of scripture is huge to that doctrine to claim that God loves certain individuals more than he does other individuals, but that's not at all what's being spoken about here, right? But the sad fact of the matter is is that there are many religions out there as well that do the same kind of thing, right? They make it clear that they are the true church. Everyone likes to believe that they are it, you know, just a specific group, just a certain group. And if you don't belong to their group, well, then you're not in the right place, right? But then verse 14 continues. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So in other words, Because God favored or chose to do his work on earth, 
through a particular line from Abraham, does that make God unrighteous? Certainly not. God can do whatever he wants to do or feels that he needed to do to bring about his ultimate plan, especially his great plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. The salvation of the, of the, of the world was a big deal. And God brought it about how he wanted to. He didn't need the opinion of his created beings to tell him how he should do things or why he should do things. Just like when you read the story of Job, right? Who are we to question God, right? Where were we when he laid the foundations of of the world, right? Where were we in, in all of that? This is God's plan, not man's plan. But man has used this chapter to create a plan of salvation out of it, right? Instead of looking at it for what it really is. But verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Now, I just want to point out again here what the context of this chapter is as it relates to the election, to predestination, right? As we read these verses, you can start to think about that again, but it's not. It's talking about the the choosing of Israel, a specific line as God's chosen people through whom he would bring the Messiah. But it wasn't all Israel even. Again, it wasn't all ethnic Israel. Right. And Paul is pointing out that just because a number of the Jews rejected Christ, it doesn't make the gospel ineffective, nor does it nullify what God had spoken in the past. But there were also some Israelites that were a part of the people, but not part of Isaac's seed. And the promise to Abraham was a promise that would be fulfilled through faith. That's very important to keep in mind here as well as we study this. We along today, we today along with any people, the Jewish people or all people, we're saved today through faith in Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, you must come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way, right? And no one is born into salvation even ethnic Israel. They're not all born into salvation. No, it was the specific line that the Messiah was going to come through. That's all this is about. Again, not salvation. Verse 17, for the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So Paul just gives another Example here, right? God used an evil man like Pharaoh back in the time of Moses and the Exodus. He even used Pharaoh to proclaim the power of his holy name. Pharaoh kept resisting the release of the children of Israel, but God kept showing the children of Israel his faithfulness, and he showed his power through an evil man. God can do whatever he wants to do, Paul's saying. He can choose to do it however he wants. So with this example, Paul says in verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say then to me, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? 
So in other words, why would God choose the, the children of Israel rather than any others? Why would God choose this just this specific line? Why Isaac and not Ishmael? Didn't Abraham even suggest to God? Well, why not Ishmael? Why not use Ishmael? Right? Why Jacob and not Esau? Why did some of the Jews receive Christ and others reject Christ? Well, that's what Paul is explaining here. Verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So it wasn't only Jews. The, the gospel message went to the Gentiles as well. So Paul is saying here basically that God, again, he can do whatever he wants to do. Not only did he choose the children of Israel to be the promised children from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from that specific line, but he also cho chose to offer salvation to Gentiles as well through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been offered to all through the preaching of the gospel. Everyone comes to God the same way, through faith. And because of this, we Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people of the world, we too can come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Whosoever will can now come to faith in Jesus Christ. But let me ask you something here this morning. Do all people choose to come to Jesus Christ today? No, they don't. Did all the, the Jews choose to receive Jesus Christ back in that day? No, they didn't. But Paul knew that they could have come to Christ. And he was very burdened in his heart over the fact that they did not come to Christ. He said, I wish I was accursed instead of that, right? And if you are saved, if you are born again today, you should be burdened in your heart about the people you know that refuse to come to Christ. Paul was burdened in his heart over that. Turn, let's look uh, for a moment at the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. We'll see here that Paul and Silas have been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And looking down at verse 25, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a a great earthquake, 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. So this Gentile prison guard asked the question, right? What must I do to be saved? And the answer was that he had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what everyone must do to be saved. Everyone must do this to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation today is offered to any Gentile, to any Jew that will choose to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what they were doing back in Paul's day. Some were choosing to come to Christ. Some were not. And Paul's addressing that topic. So, hey, so what about the fact that, you know, all these Jews aren't being saved? What about all these Jews not reject, or that are rejecting Jesus? Does this make the word of God of none effect? No. And Paul goes on to explain what's really being said that we've, like we're studying here this morning, right? And we could look at many other scriptures that point out the fact that we have to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But back in Romans chapter 9, Verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. I'll call her beloved who was not beloved, right? Now, as Paul said early in this chapter, earlier in this chapter, there are people of Israel that are not the chosen line of people through whom the Messiah would come even today about a large percentage, I think it's about 25% of the population of the nation of Israel, right, are not Jewish people, right? So not even within the boundaries of Israel are they all, you know, Jews, right? And not only that, today we know that many Gentiles that have come to faith in Jesus Christ are also called God's people, right? We sit here today as believers in Jesus, we sit here as God's people, the Jews are not the only people that are God's people today. Gentiles who have been born again, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, are of the children of God today as well. Verse 21 there referred to vessels of honor. And the Jews believed that they were the only vessels of honor, but that was not God's plan. God's plan was that salvation would be offered to the whole world. But in, reg in regards here to verse 25, where it says, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. All right, let's go ahead and, and turn and look at that. Turn to find the book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament between Daniel and Joel. 
to the right of Psalms. If you get to the middle of your Bible, you find Psalms. It's to the right of Psalms, about nine books to the right of Psalms, but it's kind of a hard book to find. But Hosea, we're going to look at chapter 1. Speaking of Hosea's wife, Gomer, it says down in verse 8, Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, the interesting thing there is the name Lo-Ami actually means not my people. And God, through this child, was stating to the children of Israel that they had turned their backs on him and were no longer his people. This was not because he had disowned them, but rather simply because they had turned their backs on him. And verse 10 continues and says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So in other words, you're choosing to turn your back on me, but that doesn't make a difference because the number of the children of Israel shall be of the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it is said of them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. So all those years ago, this book of Hosea was written. It prophesied of a time when the Jews would turn back to the Lord and many Gentiles also would come to the Lord, right? And how did the Jews turn back to the Lord? They did so through believing on and putting their faith in Jesus Christ the Son of the living God. The gospel that Paul preached was about Jesus Christ, and people had to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some of the Jews didn't. Some of the Jews did not. Paul says, well, what about the ones that did not? Did that make the word of God of no effect? No, right? right? This is how one then becomes a child of God, through faith in Jesus. So through Hosea, God was making a point to the children of Israel but not every one of the nation of Israel received Jesus Christ, did they? And that's what Paul was teaching. From the time of Hosea on forward, the day would come and has now come where whosoever will can come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we flip back to Romans chapter 9, Paul mentions Hosea, here again, we see that if we stay within the context of chapter 9, Paul is speaking about a certain portion of the Jews being the predestined ones, right? Not all of the Jews received Jesus, but the ones God chose, the ones that descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that remnant of people, they did receive Jesus. And verse 26 and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall 
be they there they shall be called the sons of the living God. So there again, we just read that verse in Hosea, right? And that's what Paul was referring to. Then in verse 27, Paul also quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. Okay, right? So we see here, Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 10, verse 23. That's what Paul's quoting there, Isaiah 10, 23. And what Isaiah was speaking about was in that chapter, he was speaking about the Assyrian attack on the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel thought that they were going to be completely destroyed during that attack. And Paul is pointing out here that even though there were many people in Israel, there was always going to be a remnant, a portion of the people of Israel that would remain unto salvation and they would be saved. They would receive the Messiah, okay? So though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, there was only a remnant of them that came to faith in Jesus Christ. A small amount of them, a smaller amount by comparison, that came to faith in Jesus Christ, right? Because this was God's plan. Jesus would come from this people group, so they they were not going to be destroyed in that Assyrian attack or any other time, Not all the people were going to be destroyed. There would always be a remnant. Why? Because there was going to be the Messiah that would come through that people. And it was specifically the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Again, not Abraham, Ishmael, and off in the other direction. Not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, and off in another direction. No, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then off in that direction. Okay, that would be the descendants, right? Remember, verses, uh, remember verse 6 of Romans chapter 9. They are not all Israel who are of Israel, Paul says. Not every person in the nation of Israel was the chosen or the predestined ones. Okay? When we speak of the elect, when we speak of the predestined ones, that's who we're speaking of, not individual people getting saved. Verse 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we have been made like Gomorrah. So as Paul continues to reference the prophet Isaiah, he is now pointing out to the Jews that even as bad as the children of Israel were because of their sin, it could have been even worse. But the mercy of God is the only reason that that people survived. The mercy of God, right? Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed and there was no remnant left in those cities. But God did indeed show mercy on the people of Israel and spare the remnant from that attack on the, by the Syrians that Isaiah was referring to. So verse 30, what shall we say then? 
that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. In other words, why are all these other Jews whose Paul is so burdened for in his heart that they would come to Christ, why were they not doing it? Because they did not seek it by faith. That's why. The other ones that did come, they did seek it by faith. They did come to faith in Jesus Christ. And again, that's how anybody gets saved. Jew, Gentile, anybody. And it goes on to say, therefore they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So the Jews indeed are and were the predestined one, that specific line of people, not all of them, Again, the ones that descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob specifically. They were the chosen children of God. This chapter is clearly speaking to that fact. And in these last four verses, Paul brings it back to the heart of the matter for these Jews. Salvation is not for them only. Even though certain lineage of them were chosen to bring about the Messiah, but salvation is for everyone and anyone that will come to to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the gospel went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We know that all of those people in that upper room on the day of Pentecost were Jewish people. But we know when the Holy Spirit came into them and they went back out into the streets, right, proclaiming the wonderful works of God, they were doing it in every language. And today the gospel still goes forth in every language and whosoever will can be saved, right? Some of the Jews missed the Messiah. He was a stumbling stone to them, a rock of offense. But this often misunderstood chapter, this chapter that's so often taken out of context, it concludes with the words, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever, anyone can come to Jesus Christ by faith. The only predestined ones were that remnant of the Jewish people that God chose to be his elect. They are the ones that God himself came to the earth through. They were his chosen people. But today, all people, every person on the face of this earth must be saved by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. No one is born into salvation because of your ethnic group, because of your race, because of your upbringing, because of your mom, because of your dad, right? No one is predestined for salvation. We must come to faith. You must choose Jesus Christ and you must walk in faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for your word, your holy word, your written word. Your word is truth. Your word will never fail. God, I pray 
that we will all continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, and that your word would take root in our hearts and minds, that we would be rooted and grounded in you, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for your spirit here. Thank you for your love and grace. Pray your will be done in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.